Good evening. Welcome to another episode of On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. I am Fred Wellman, your host. So excited to be back on the air. I hope everybody's joining in. I'll give you a little time to join. Uh, it's uh, Primary Eve. Can't wait to talk about it. So welcome to On Democracy. I'm thrilled to partner with Colin to bring this podcast to you live and publish on iTunes and Spotify. Colin is the easy-to-use, all-in-one platform for hosts and creators. With the app, you can stream, take questions, record, edit, and share your content all in one place. I hope you'll download the app if you haven't already. Join us live to talk about our democracy and how we can all help move the nation forward. So let's get this show going while everybody's gathering. So I'm so excited to be on the pod with you guys today. It's a, it's a great time to chat with you about our democracy. It's been a crazy few days in politics. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm your host, Fred Wellman. Tonight, I'm actually coming to you live from the mountains in northwest Georgia, where I've been helping my friend Marcus Flowers run for Congress in the Georgia House District 14 uh, tomorrow's primary day here in Georgia. Uh, I'm real proud to be a senior advisor to Marcus's campaign. So I got some insight on that that I'm going to talk to you about later. Uh, let's get right to it. So what's we got? Uh, I really want to kind of chat with you guys a little bit, uh, take your comments and questions about the primaries we face tomorrow. Uh, several states are having them. Of course, I'm focusing on Georgia a lot because that's where I'm sitting. Uh, but of course, there's primaries in Arkansas and the Alabama Senate race is looking very inside and a few others. Uh, so we'll talk about those if you want to. We've got lots of time for questions tonight. That's the whole point. Uh, you know, Georgia, you may, uh, we'll just start with Georgia. We'll go around the horn with Georgia first, of course. That's where I'm at. Georgia, you know, so Georgia, unique place. Uh, if any of you guys remember 2020, Georgia became the center of the center of attraction here, uh, with the race, uh, with Trump losing and then, uh, the runoffs for Mr. Ossoff and Warnock, uh, coming up after that. That's because Georgia has a 50% plus one rule that forces a runoff if one candidate doesn't make that threshold. And that's what happened last cycle. Now that's uh that'll be a big story if they don't uh, if they don't clear that hurdle. It's on to another election on June 21st. Now early voting here has been absolutely record breaking. You know, as you know, uh, Georgia did pass a pretty restrictive law early on, uh, got rid of Sunday voting, uh, tried to try to tighten things up quite a bit. There's a lot of consternation about that. I was one of the people that had some consternation about that, uh, but it. It looks like efforts to kind of get around. I know in our campaign, we've been very, very uh, effective in letting our followers and our, our, our constituents and our voters know how to deal with the changes that have been made. You know, we've seen some glitches. We've seen folks showing up at the polls, uh, not being in the system anymore or getting that done. But we've had a record turnout in Georgia 14, the whole state. I've seen reports of something over 850,000 early votes. That represents a 160% increase over 2020 and a, some 200% plus over 2018. So, so people are really excited about this race. And why? Well, there's a lot going on in this race. And if you've been paying attention at all, uh, you know, we've, we've got the, we've got the big governor's races. We've got Trump very involved here. He's, he's got a lot of, uh, he's on a vengeance tour here in Georgia, which, uh, frankly, as a democratic activist, I'm quite happy with, let him, let him do his thing. Um, so most eyes, of course, are on those Republican races and a lot of the key races here. You know, what's interesting about Donald Trump's endorsements, he's endorsed nine candidates uh, at, at every level of the state to include, you know, the secretary of the 
insurance, right? He he is on a vengeance tour to remove, of course, Secretary State, uh, Brad Raffensperger, Brian Kemp, the, the, which he uh, places a lot of blame on for his loss here in Georgia because he didn't fight hard enough. And so that's really been an interesting test here. I mean, what is the power of Donald Trump in a campaign, in an endorsement, and, and does it matter? I mean, I think a lot of people are kind of projecting um, visions and, and hopes onto what it might mean on both sides. If, if he does win, he does prevail. That shows he's still a kingmaker. If he doesn't, perhaps we can finally put the big lie stuff behind us. Um, I'm not necessarily sure uh, that'll be the case. If any case, I think we're going to have we're going to split the difference. Starting at the top of the governor's race, of course, uh, the big news for us on the Democratic side is that Stacey Abrams has decided to run again uh, in a rematch against Brian Kemp, which she only lost by a few thousand votes last time. Uh, and, of course, she embarked on an, an, an amazing effort with Fair Fight Organization uh, to get more voters registered and has really rebuilt the party in a lot of ways uh, and goes into this uh, race heavily well, strong. Uh, I don't know for a favorite at this point, but with midterms, but going very well. But on the Republican side, Brian Kemp's going for uh, going for reelection. You know, by any measure, if Brian Kemp, if the 2020 election shenanigans hadn't occurred, Kemp would be cruising to a victory. Probably wouldn't even have any uh, competition. But that's not how it works anymore in the Republican Party. Of course, what we do have is a situation where. Trump uh, recruited and has been working as a surrogate through uh, David Perdue, who lost John Ossoff. Perdue's entire campaign here has been about the big lie. I, I was literally just watching TV, local TV, and 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 all the uh, all the all he talked about really was you know the big lie. That's all he talked about. Uh, he you know he, he just discussing how that that was stolen. He's going to prove it and. Um, Kemp's done a really good campaign. The thing is, if you if you watch politics much, you also know that a key factor is a good campaign. Kemp has run a good campaign. He has not let any of this distract him from running a very clean campaign. He's had a bus tour. He's been going all over the state. Uh, he has, has made his case for why he did what he did um, and, and what he's done since as his record as a governor, uh, while Purdue's sort of been a broken record. And then as somebody mentioned in the chat, I see your motion in the chat, just before we went on the air, I guess he finished his day with basically some sort of a racist comment about Stacey Abrams. Uh, I, I saw him saying that she needs to go back where she came from, which is always going to be a winner uh, in, in a state like ours. Um, you know, it's just been a ridiculous, a ridiculous race. The Republicans are showing. And the fact is, uh, polls here are showing Kemp anywhere from 52 to 60 percent in the lead. He may not even face it. It's almost a, I wish there's a 0% chance, but there's a really good chance he will not um, have to even go to a runoff. And, and Purdue is going to go down in flames once again. It doesn't help Purdue that he's just an awful candidate. I mean, he's just a terrible candidate. He, he is a stiff. Um, he's, he has no charisma whatsoever. He, you know, he is not, um, he's just not a great campaigner. You know, he's sort of a half-hearted campaigner and that's what got him in trouble last time. Uh, he does not connect well with voters. So, um, it's, it's a really likely case tomorrow. We'll see Kemp, uh, go on, cruise easily into the general election. Stacey Abrams is on opposed, so she will be the uh, nominee. And that's given so much fire. We were really excited when Stacey joined the race because it's put a lot of fire into folks who remember very well what happened four years ago. So there's a lot of energy here in Georgia for this election compared to a lot of the other states that there is good energy, but still. You know, and next, of course, is the Senate race here. Um, the big news has been all along Herschel Walker uh, taking on uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock. I actually saw. Um, Reverend Warnock speak at a Democratic gala here about uh, three weeks ago. 
I gotta tell you, that guy can talk. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know, somebody pointed out to me that, that he actually does that for a living, of course, as a, as a, as a pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, but he's a remarkably charismatic man. He's a good legislator. He's done well as a senator in the two years he's been there. But of course, it's, it's a midterm and there's always going to be that challenge. There's, there's a lot of headwind for Democrats right now, as a story in the New York Times said today. Um, they face reality and the reality, of course, is that, uh, there's record inflation. There's been gaffes on the Biden administration that they're facing. Uh, and, and Abrams and Warnock will have to answer for that. But on the Republican side, you've got Herschel Walker, who, is a really unique candidate. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just I'm trying to be delicate here. You know, Herschel, of course, is a, a hero of, of Georgia in the sense that he went to the University of Georgia as a football player, was a hero there. Um, that's sort of why he was recruited by Trump to run in many ways. Um, he hasn't, he's not a great campaigner. I mean, the guy, you know, he's, I don't know what. He probably got, he took a few hits. Let's just leave it that. Way. Of course, he has a history of mental health challenges, which he has been open about. Um, but some really horrifying stories about violence, domestic abuse uh, accusations with uh, his ex-wife and uh, ex-girlfriends. You know, um, of course, there is every day. There's a new story. I think yesterday one came out. You know, of course, what's close to my height is a veterans issue. My heart is veterans issues. He was involved in a, a, a veterans mental health program, which. He's claimed to be the founder of and gave millions of dollars in, in charity to event. Turns out he wasn't. He was actually a paid celebrity spokesman. It's a for-profit company that does contracting with the VA and, and, and peels veterans off into mental health systems that are actually highly questionable. Um, and that's how you do it with this guy. He claims to be a successful businessman. No one can find records of the businesses. Claimed to graduate from college with like, you know, magna cum laude and they can't even find they actually graduated. Walker is, will likely walk away at the run. He, he's, I think he's sitting at 60% as well now or more. Uh, he does have several, uh, several opponents. I think there's like six, six opponents in that race. Uh, but none of them have really caught fire. Um, which is an interesting dynamic. I, I saw Mike Madrid was on here for a little while. You know, an interesting dynamic in these campaigns has been that, you know, Republicans used to be really disciplined about fielding candidates and limiting them. Um, and that's really broken the cycle. Um, the Republican races have just half a dozen each of people running uh, for these offices and, and it's, it's splitting up quite a bit. And that'll be a challenge too, um, pushing everybody into runoffs. But I do feel pretty comfortable that Walker's going to really not have a problem. He, he's essentially ignored his opponents this whole time and simply just done his own thing uh, the entire time and, and is, is, is likely going to just absolutely walk away with his, his Senate nomination to face Reverend Warnock uh, in the fall. Uh, in Congress, you know, they had redistricting here and the reapportionment, uh, and one of the big stories here has been Georgia 6 and Georgia 7. Georgia 6 was uh, Lucy McBath, who took office in 2018, flipped that seat blue, uh, and her amazing life story of ha losing a son to gun violence, of course, uh, as well as uh, personal health challenges, growing up poor. Um, Lucy's got an amazing story, has been a, a fairly um, central, you know, moderate, progressive uh, voice in Congress, is very well liked by her peers, has been a very effective Congress member. Well, they reapportioned her district, made it much more Republican, uh, and made the neighboring Georgia 7 more blue, where Representative Carolyn Bordeaux is. 
Carolyn Bordeaux is a, a, a professor here at one of the universities, um, flipped that seat blue in 2020. And it's also highly respected and uh, a moderate voice in Congress. Um, Lucy chose to run in Georgia 7. So we have, um, we've got quite a face-off between two highly regarded congressional members on the Democratic side, so we're going to lose one. Um, right now, Lucy McBath is the favored candidate, although, like, Andrew Young has endorsed uh, Carolyn Bordeaux. Um, it's been a fairly tame race that the two the two representatives have, have really not gone after each other too hard. Um, so it's sort of a toss up. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of polling on it yet, um, but unfortunately, we'll lose one a, a good member of Congress as as the the Republicans here did a very effective job. And of course, the big story that we'll focus on a lot is is my race, Georgia fourteen. Margie Taylor Green. Uh, I don't know if you guys follow me on Twitter, uh, but right before we went on tonight, uh, Margie Taylor Green actually showed up at Democratic challenger Marcus Flowers' campaign office in downtown Rome, Georgia, um, with a guy filming her uh, sticking her head in the office to talk to the staff members. Um, full disclosure, I am the senior advisor of the campaign, so I'm actually here working for the campaign as we get ready for the primary um, that race is interesting. On the on the Republican side, everybody knows Margie Tergren, right? Freshman Congress member, went to D.C., was almost immediately stripped of her committees, um, has made her name as almost a regular on Steve Bannon's podcast and aggressively going after her peers in the Congress, uh, screaming at them, screaming at the president during the uh, State of the Union speech, you know, just truly a, a very ata- antagonistic person. Has voted no for everything. I mean, just absolutely everything. Um I'm not aware of her passing any legislation or voting for any legislation, to be candid with you. Uh, her big claim to fame is calling for roll calls um, and you know, trying to shut down Congress. She's uh, simply not an effective member. Um, we're not aware of her having offices in the district. Um, according to her official website, she doesn't even have an office in the district, no matter constituent services. So she did draw challengers. There's half a dozen Republicans running against her um, in various successful ways. Um, Several of them are just as mad as she is, but won't be as embarrassing, right? Um, the leader that most people are recognizing is Jennifer Strahan, who's a businesswoman uh, who's taken her on. And and while Jennifer's good, um, she's also very much a, a Trumpist of the Trumpist wing. Um, she hasn't raised a ton of money. Um, when you talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene, you're talking some eight, eleven million dollars money she's raised. Um, she is a money raising machine, um, but. She faces the primary tomorrow. I, I think, I think she's going to not have a problem. I don't, I can't imagine. I'd be shocked, frankly, if she goes to a runoff. Um, it'd be great, but I, I don't think she's going to face a runoff. The Democratic side has been interesting and it's been interesting being involved in it. Um, that you've got three folks running, Marcus Flowers, who's an army veteran, uh, and then went into a career in government service, both as a contractor, as a government employee over the years. Much of his time has been spent uh, at downrange supporting military operations overseas, uh, in that work. Um, settled here is rich, you know, settled in the area, Bream in Georgia, raised his family here, decided to run after January 6th. Uh, has been running ever since. Um, came out of the gate strong with some videos of him peeling Confederate flag stickers off of public uh, signs and stuff in his town that got took off very quickly. He faces uh, a woman named Wendy Davis, who's a, a party a party activist here in the, in the region in Rome, Georgia. She's been an elected official. Um, she was going to be the person who ran against Marjorie Taylor Greene when her opponent, her last opponent, dropped out of the race at the last minute. Unfortunately, the Democratic Party could not replace that guy on the ballot. So Marjorie Taylor Greene actually ran unopposed in the general election last time, um, which is interesting. She did she did get seventy five percent of the vote. Um, 
And then the other one running is Holly McCormack, who's in the far northern part of the district near Dalton, who you know kind of calls herself a um, calls herself a band mom. Has also done very well and, and, and pretty well on her fundraising and her social media profile, um, and is 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 on, in the race pretty well. Uh, I've worked with Marcus. I joined Marcus's campaigns. Quite a, quite a while ago, um, supporting him as an advisor, um, and it, Marcus is now the number one uh, fundraising challenger in the country uh, of all the of all the congressional races in the country. His campaign is the number one, which has been interesting because it's also drawn fire for us. and And I'm happy to talk about that. And we can take questions in a minute if folks want to take questions. I love how much you guys are talking in the chat. By the way, I really appreciate that. I love when the chat's active, so that's wonderful. I hope you'll jump in here in a second. I don't think I told you. I'll, I'll give you a little readout how to do that. You already figured out the chat function. I hope you figured out the emoji function. We'll talk about the calling function. But the thing about this race that is, for me, and one of the reasons I want to talk to you guys tonight has been frustrating. I've, I've seen some really good people whom I love dearly and who, who I, I am, I'm peers with um, on, online, and, and, and we see it quite a bit on TV. There was actually a column by an opinion columnist in the Washington Post last week saying that, well, and I think people like to say James Carville's talking about us too, saying that it's a waste of money, that the Democrats like to waste money on races that are unwinnable, that Georgia 14 cannot be flipped that it's, it's an R plus 45 district and all this money that Marx is raising is outrageous. And so let's start with, can it be flipped? Sure. It's a long shot. It is on paper. Well, it was R plus 45. It's gone down quite a bit. When the reapportionment occurred here in Georgia too, they actually shaved off a little bit of the, the, the district and added West Cobb County and Paulding counties, which are, are, are much more heavily, um, uh, populated persons of color. And so the district did, did take on much, uh, uh, quite a few more, uh, black voters. And, and, and of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene being herself, though when that happened, she raised a stink saying that, you know, actually complained about it and was angry that she got stuck with all these people. And that made an impression on them, I assure you, because I know I've been talking to them. I, I've been canvassing in Cobb County. Um, so that's a factor. Is it still enough? No. But the thing also is Marjorie Taylor Greene is not Mitch McConnell. We get compared a lot to Amy McGrath and Jamie Harrison's campaigns. Keeping in mind, those were Senate races. Those were statewide races. They were against formidable opponents. Look, Mitch McConnell is the majority leader. He's been in Congress. He's been in the Senate for since before, almost as long as I've been alive. Lindsey Graham, about the same. Those were always going to be a p- tough opponents. They were always going to be difficult. Um, and, and those campaigns were run very differently. This is a congressional race uh, against a woman who is a single-term freshman who has no committee assignments, has no district offices, has made her name as being sort of a troll, is very rarely in the district. I mean, very rarely in the district. Uh, and that's known. People tell us. Um, we have a lot of Republicans coming to us telling us they're frustrated, um, they're angry, they're tired of the antics. They're not getting anything out of their Congress member. And so while it is indeed on paper a statistically tough race, it certainly is not unwinnable. And, and I get very, very frustrated when I see people comparing it to you know, Kentucky or, or these Senate races. It's just not the same. You are comparing apples and oranges, and that's not a joke. Number two is I've seen folks say, well, if we're going to spend money in Georgia, that money should be spent on fair fight. It should be spent on... It should definitely be, it should be spent on Abrams. It should be spent on Warnock. Well, here's a dirty secret for you guys. Abrams and Warnock love us, and I'll tell you why. We are activating the vote. We are activating people in Georgia 14. We're activating Democrats. They are fired up. They know they've actually got somebody who's competitive against Marjorie Taylor Greene. So voters here are voting. We've had record turnout ourselves here in Georgia 14 on the Democratic side. That's good for Stacey and good for Raphael Warnock. They get that. 
they, this helps their statewide races. So the money is being invested in Georgia still, and it's being invested in a campaign that's being run very well. The campaign's knocked over 40,000 doors in the district in the light of the campaign. Marcus himself has knocked over 3,000 doors. That's a heck of a get-out-the-vote operation. It's a, a significant get-out-the-vote operation. And that will tie into Stacey and, and Raphael's success. So, so when people say, oh, well, the money should be better spent for them, it is being spent on them. That's the best part. Um, you need down-ballot races that fire people up. Uh, and that's what's happening here. So I, I, I get very frustrated when that, when that accusation comes in. And again, I just get frustrated because, look, the one thing I tell Democrats all the time is we've got to fight. We've got to fight everywhere. And we can't let one of the most reprehensible people to represent the country um, go untouched. Uh, I get very angry when I hear these doom and glooms. Like, oh, it's impossible. Spend your money elsewhere. It's like 350,000 individual donors have donated to Marcus's campaign. Not big money. Very few have maxed out. It's amazing. It's mostly $25 donations of people who are angry and frustrated with what we face. So I'm not telling them not to donate, okay? And that money is being put to good use, which is why we're all over the airwaves here. We've got signs. We've got a great campaign that's hitting. In the end, the funny thing about all those stories about Marcus raising so money is so much money is they don't talk about how much she's raised. Our opponent has raised more. You know, we did beat uh, Margie Taylor Green in fundraising in the last two quarters, but her cash on hand, the money she's raised over the length of her campaign does outweigh ours. So while all this talk about the uh, Marcus not raising enough, you know, so much money, he's still not matching his uh, opponent. So it's going to be that way. It's going to be a tough race. Six months is a long time from now. Um, a lot can happen in politics. Let's be very honest about who Margie Taylor Green is. She just literally walked into the campaign office of her Democratic opponent the night before the election, with the guy walking behind her, filming the whole thing and smirking, stuck her head in the office, said hi, wish everybody good luck, and then gave our young staff trouble because they had just finished their lunch and their wrappers were on the table, and she was giving them trouble about it. Okay, she's not stable. You know, this is not a normal Congress member. She's not a decent person. And this race is going to be another one of decent versus indecent. This is about right versus wrong. This is about providing representation. I was on doors the other day and a gentleman, uh, African-American gentleman over in Cobb County and I were talking just to, I just love these conversations. It's just, there's something, being a senior advisor and then knocking doors has been so valuable for me. And, and he said, all right, well, I really, I've heard a lot about him. You know, can you tell me like, what are his policies? What's, what's his, what's his number one focus? I said, you know, honestly, sir, number one, providing representation to you. Because Marcus has served the Constitution his whole career and understands that with Article 1, you're supposed to have congressional representation. And you don't right now. If you have trouble with your Social Security and need help from your Congress member, good luck. It's a Google voice that bounces to Washington, D.C. If you want to go visit your congressman office, you're going to have to wait in line at the post office where the P.O. box is. You know, what Marcus is doing is they're running. He's staying in the district. He's knocking on doors. And he's going to represent. And that's as far as the conversation went because he got it. The gentleman got, he goes, you're right. I don't have a congressman member. Matter of fact, he's in Cobb. She doesn't even want to be his congressman. And so I really feel strongly that a well-run campaign that hits and understands that it's about the people you represent and constituents and focusing on those constituents, not going to Mar-a-Lago, not going to, not going, campaigning all over the country for every MAGA chode, but staying in the district and, and honestly trying to take care of your constituents is a winning formula. And we'll see, you know, six months is a long time, but, uh, but that's where we sit here in Georgia 14. And then the last race I'll mention, and I'll go ahead and question. So let me read. Um, so the way it works with the questions, guys, is if you want to ask a question, if you look at your screen on the app, there's a little phone symbol on the bottom right. You can press that, 
and it allows you to go into a queue and I'll see you again in a queue and then I can, I can accept your question. When I say, when I accept you to talk, you unmute yourself in that microphone button at the bottom and you can talk. Feel free to make a comment. I don't, we don't need to do a soliloquy. Don't give me a lecture. <laughs> but if you want to talk, if you want to ask a question, I'm here. This is the whole purpose of this point is to, to talk with you guys and not let me, uh, talk. I think the only other race I talk about before we go to the questions, though, if you want, if you have any questions is, uh, Alabama. Uh, I have a personal, stake in that one because um the Alabama Republican Senate race involves uh Mo Brooks, a woman named Britt, and uh Mike Durant. If you remember those of us who are veterans, I think John Bordeaux's here, you know, you, Mike Durant of course is the famous uh pilot from the Task Force once uh, you know uh, Task Force one sixty who was uh shot down in Somalia and held captive leading the events that were immortalized as Black Hawk Down, uh, both the book and the movie. Uh, Durant retired out of the Army, became a businessman in Alabama, and is now running as a, a MAGA Republican. Um, was doing quite well, actually. Mo Brooks, of course, was endorsed by Trump. And then, as Trump said, he went woke because he had the audacity to say, we need to move on from the 2020 election. And that's truly what happened. He just said, we need to move on. So Trump unendorsed him. Trump has not endorsed any other candidates, uh, but that hurt Brooks. Uh, he's been coming back on for a while. Mike Durant moved into second place. He's had some controversy with, I guess, some family issues uh, and, and, and such, which I don't even want to get into. It's none of my business. But uh, it looks like Durant's kind of fallen in the third place as they go into the, nom- the, the primary tomorrow, although this Kathy Britt is the leader. So that's an interesting race, too, um, just because of the connections that I had. So, but that's, uh, that's the state of things. I think... What you'll see tomorrow is uh, probably early decisions. Uh, it, it, the voter turnout here in Georgia 14 in the state has been very good. Um, hopefully Dave Washman will say he's seen enough pretty early. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting. These, these races um, will really show us a lot of what we face in November, just like the Pennsylvania race did, just like the Ohio race did. Um, these will shape up and kind of give us an idea. But what we are seeing, I think, clearly for me, um, is we are still seeing the rise of the Trumpists, the rise of these uh, ultra MAGAs and, and, and that such. And what that means for us is uh, if the Democrats, I think, are smart, if they can get their messaging strong, you know, we can really make this about, you know, what do we want to be as a country? Democracy is in the ballot. Abortion is on the ballot. Birth uh, controls on the ballot. You know, how we educate our children is on the ballot. All those things that have become uh, the Republican movement, uh, the extremist movement, are on the ballot. So I'm hoping that we'll see um, motivation. I'm hoping we'll see folks join in. But uh, but I've done a lot of monologuing tonight, which is uh, never fun. I know some people here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to ask a question, I'd love to have you join me. Just uh, uh, you just hit the uh, microphone button. If not, uh, there we go. People are coming in. James. <laughs> Hi, James. Go ahead and unmute yourself and uh, go hit it. Welcome to the show, by the way. I really appreciate you joining. I think you've joined me a couple times, James. Thanks for thanks for being a listener, man. I really I really appreciate you being a listener in this early podcast. Not a problem. I think the hardest part is just figuring out where the uh, buttons are at. Right. <laughs> Yeah, new new technology is always fun. Uh, but uh, I have to tell you, they're great to work with. They've been so generous with me, and uh, and because I'm, I'm I'm not quite a luddite, but I have my moments. But anyway, you had a question, sir? Yeah, I, really. Uh, what I wanted to ask is is you're in Georgia. How much are the politics south of you in my former home state um, affecting what's going on? Which one are you talking about? What's your Florida? Yes. Oh well, you know. DeSantis, my guy DeSantis. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I, I, you know, there is the, the Republicans have shaped the congressional districts very well here. Um, they did. I think the 
I, you know, for my mushy brain, it's been a long day, but I think they're trying to get it down. To, it was, I think, 7-3. They were making it 8. 7-4, and they're trying to make it 8-3, I think. So they did make it more red here. Um, they're very good at that. Uh, as far as affecting, you know, we joke about southern Georgia, Savannah, and Valdo, you know, down there being basically northern Florida, although they would argue sometimes that Jacksonville is the southernmost city in Georgia. It depends on the side of the line you're on. Um, it, it's hard to say. I don't think things are as extreme in Georgia. Georgia still is a purple state. Unlike, you know, and while Florida on paper can be is technically a purple state, you know, in the end, Georgia truly is a purple state. And and Stacey's done, a, of course, a very effective job with Fair Fight and other organizations that are registering voters. Um, the African-American vote is very powerful here. Fulton County being such a large county that with such a, a, you know, obviously Fulton County pretty much wrote the book for the 2020 election in the end for Georgia. So so we are a different state here in Georgia than Florida in a lot of ways. Um, we certainly do not have the monolithic um, effects. And the GOP here hasn't been as aggressive, I think, in the um, you got this weird situation in Georgia, in Florida, there where the GOP is basically a rubber stamp for DeSantis. You know, he has an eye. Look, look how quickly the Disney law passed. Look how quickly the woke act passed. You know, he, he's got a really good, he's got a, he's got a, a party that does whatever he wants. They jump when he says jump. Uh, Georgia's Republican party hasn't, while obviously extremely right and extremist, hasn't been as really, you know, they don't do jump. And then Kemp hasn't tried to really go crazy as much. Now, that's not to say he isn't doing some extreme jobs. He hasn't talked about abortion. He hasn't, you know, trying to get the open carry laws passed, you know, except. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I don't think it's as extreme here in Georgia as it is down there. And again, because it is, look, they know they have to answer the voters. They, they, they're not going to be able to make it per, uh, you know, red enough to get away with it as they have in Florida. So I think your demographics here in Georgia are very different than Florida, and the power dynamics here in Georgia are very different than Florida. Um, but so that's, that's a great question. I appreciate you. Um, Amanda. Me. Oh, my gosh, i got to figure it out myself. This is fun. <laughs> there we go. All right. Amanda, go ahead and unmute yourself. Hey. Welcome to the show. I think you followed me before, too, Amanda. Thank you for joining the show again. Probably. Yeah. Thanks so much, Fred. You, yeah, I, I was I joined this app uh, because I usually hang out with Grant Stern and Scott Dworkin. Oh, I'm, great yeah. Americans. Yeah, I love yeah. those guys. I'm a fan. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of Florida. There you go. Well, thanks for joining. They're, they're actually- yeah, well, and well, this kind of segues into my question. Okay, there are actually some fantastic candidates coming out of Florida right now. Alan Ellison running for Rubio seat. Yep. Along with Val Demings, I really like Jesse Philippe in Florida sixty-two. Yep. He's got this. What he's 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 a former Marine. I've never seen anyone listen as well as Jesse. He's he's fantastic, and I wish him the best. Yep. But Isn't I, that the I'm key, really, though? I mean, that, yeah, that, you said something really key, though, right? Is there good campaigns are good campaigns, which is why, you know, so often people blame um, demographics, they blame statistics. But in the end, if you look closely, what you'll see is some guys lose sometimes because it's a bad campaign. Let's be very honest. DeSantis won the governorship because his opponent at the time ran a, a pretty bad campaign. Okay? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? And so McAuliffe lost Virginia. Everyone wants to blame CRT. But when he ignored rural Virginia... And, 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 and didn't do a good job of turning out vote. When a, a million less Democrats turned out for 2021 than did 2020, that's why McAuliffe lost. So, so it's such a key, you say something very key about the effectiveness of a candidate and their focus on talking to voters and being a part of that conversation. But, but anyway, I mean, to cut you off, you had a question. Oh, no, no, you're fine. Yeah, that actually, the same thing in Arkansas right now. Natalie James is running against, oh gosh, what, uh, uh, the incumbent, what's his face? He decided, you know, I'm not going to go to Southern Arkansas. I'm not going to get votes there anyhow. Right. Oh, okay. You're running for U.S. Senate, and you you're going to represent them. 
You give away the state. Why did John Fetterman win win Pennsylvania? He he visited every single county. He talked to every he talked in every single county, barnstormed the state, showing he wanted to be the 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 uh, the senator. And and Connor Lamb, God bless him, did roll up every single endorsement there was. But in in this era, those endorsements of party leaders just they don't carry the weight. We have the same situation here in Georgia. It's like people running around. Look, we like endorsements as much as the next one. We love rolling them up. But you know, your average your average voter, you know, many are just tooting it. Make you know. Let's be honest. Both of them don't even know who their Democratic chairman is. You know, <laughs> they don't know. You know, they're just they're just tuning in and they see the commercials and they see the signs and they vote. Um, so it's so key that retail politics makes all the difference. Yeah, and I think Twitter is really and other social media that's really changing the face of how we do politics when mm-hmm. we're in the middle of a pandemic. How do, wow, we actually have really great access right now, better than we've ever had. Yep. One thing I've noticed is that we, we, we seem to have a lot of people who might have a more traditional conservative background, mm-hmm. like Jesse, former Marine, where no, they are not running on a conservative ticket. And right. I, I think it would be interesting to take a poll of who else. Who else am I not seeing out there yet? Well, that's the thing, right? There are some great campaigns that we just haven't, you know, are, are not breaking out. It hurts. I mean, I love seeing, I love to help. I, I If you follow me on Twitter, you know, I, I highlight a lot of candidates. I'll, I'll tweet their stuff out all the time. I have a lot of candidates reach out to me. I'm, I'm very blessed to have such a large platform of people for, for reasons I can't explain. Follow me. I don't know why they do. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, using that platform to help candidates. But it is hard to break out. And that's Congress for. That's your typical congressional. That's what's just so weird about Marcus's campaign. We've really broken out. In a big way, and yet, look. The truth is, if you have a certain exitable opponent, I'm going to give another example for you, Amanda. Is you know, I live in Missouri now. I live in St. Louis, and uh, the Missouri to high school. I'm sorry, Kirkwood. Oh my God, you know, <laughs> oh you know God. the town. Yeah. My dad is from Kirkwood. Yeah, well, I, I no, know. I'll yeah. be damned. Kirkwood High School, 1983. So, um, small world. I grew up right there, uh, and so. I moved back recently and um, for the love of a tall woman and I'm back in St. Louis. And so Ann Wagner's running Missouri too. Ann is one of those Congress members who, you know, she's just sort of flies under the radar. She's, she's an, she's one of the extremists, but, but she, she doesn't really have town halls. She doesn't really do anything, but by the same token, she doesn't do anything awful. Right. And so she's kind of well, skates she through. She listens sometimes. She actually yeah. listens sometimes. I've just right. email her. We met yeah. on Zoom. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's she's okay. I met with her as a veterans advocate. Her son is a soldier, or was a soldier. I, I met with her for veterans issues. But but again, she's she's not a great congressman. She doesn't do a lot. They know she does all. She has the usual talking points. And but but so those are tough races, right? When you don't have a candidate who's just sort of muddling along, it's it's hard to get that fire for people to go after you, especially in a midterm race, right? I mean, that's the other challenge we face with the, the enthusiasm. Right? I think we're really lucky in Georgia. Stacey has made. Has really got people fired up, right? People have not forgotten what happened. Stacey's become a national figure in her own right, and so there's a lot of energy around Georgia. You see it, you know, with the same with Pennsylvania, Ohio, Senate races. Congressional sides are harder. Um, we are, I mean, I assure you, the professionals on our team at Marcus, uh, at Marcus Flower for Georgia, we're all going, what the heck? You know, <laughs> you know a, lot, a lot of us are like, wow, this is really weird. I mean, it, it is unusual to be in a campaign, a congressional campaign in a rural district. This is it's a very rural district. This is, look at, if you look, if you know Georgia, you take I-75 to Chattanooga, you take I-20 to Alabama, and then up, that's Georgia 14 for the most part, almost from, the, the burbs of Atlanta, all the way to Chattanooga is a giant district. It's, it's a two and a half to three hour drive from the south to north. It is a giant, giant district of rural mountains and, and farmland. And so it's, it's been unusual for us to get this kind of energy into a campaign. But yeah, it's hard, right? It's, it's hard for these candidates to break out. But look, I, I, I tell you, I, I tell them all the same basics, man. I tell them, look, you still got to do the basics. Get out what we've been doing. Get out, knock doors, 
Um, hustle is still the key for a candidate. Get out there, make sure people know who you are. I, I get frustrated because I do see a lot of candidates who think they can run it on Twitter alone, right? They, they, a social media campaign. And, and, and a social media campaign is not enough. You, you've really got to meet the voters where they are. You've got to listen. You've got to talk. You've got to have some uncomfortable conversations at people's doors. Um, you know, they don't want you there. And, oh, you're soliciting. I'm sorry. I have to explain. I've had to explain the Supreme Court decisions to people who tell me I'm soliciting when I'm not. <laughs> you know, it's a First Amendment right. I'm allowed to come to your door for voting. But it's really, um, yeah, it's a tough time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tell my candidates again, just don't just rely on Twitter. You, you've got to do the hard work at the, at the local level to break out and, and, and find those donors. But it's tough. So, Oh, great. And James, we've got another one. I'm going to let you on here. Go ahead, James. There we go. Yes, sir. The question, the question uh, came around the fact that you were just talking about how you know, people are trying to run a Twitter campaign. Yes. Okay. Then we have that woman whose name I cannot remember right now in Pennsylvania didn't run any campaign and ended up with 24% of the vote. (laughs) I know, right? Again, that's just pure turnout. Uh, That's hate voting, right? I think a lot of times you've got that where nobody – they didn't like the other guys, right? Uh, You know, it's it's, – so the anti-vote, right? Um, Okay. I think – you know, go ahead, James. (laughs) I I was going to say, yeah, it's just – that and then the second question would be, uh, having been stationed down there, I know Georgia's got a lot of military and ex-military. Yeah. How is Marcus being one of us affecting his chances? It's been huge. Um, you know, in this district where we are, you know, you Dobbins Air Force Base is just down the road. Ton. What was really fascinating to me, I'll tell you a little. I was knocking doors the other day in a really lovely subdivision, probably. Three or four hundred thousand dollar homes, new, um, a very mixed neighborhood of 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 many you know many nationalities you know, and and I was talking to folks and man, every door was a veteran. It was really interesting. And you just say because I, when I get to door, I say you know it's Marcus Flowers. He's the veteran and Democrat running on seat Marjorie Taylor. And they go, oh yeah, he's my guy. I'm Air Force. I'm Navy. I'm Army. It's a, so there is a huge veteran, um, especially you know, I don't know if you know you saw James where. Just uh, what three weeks ago, Marjorie Terry Green said on a podcast that it, you're throwing your life away if you join the military today. Oh, that that didn't go great with veterans. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even well, no, no matter what time we are, right? And so, so again, we've got to it uh, just it didn't to, go that great with me when he called us when Trump called us a bunch of losers. Yeah, losers and suckers. Still. Yeah, that was one of my big things at Lincoln Project. That that was uh, that was the Labor Day weekend. I was flying on vacation for my birthday, and I had to deal with that. I went on NP. I actually went on NPR from. Park City, Utah on vacation. Yeah, exactly. It's there, but you know, our community, James, look, look, one of the reasons I'll be very honest with you, and I tell the story often, uh, one of the reasons I left the Republican Party to be very candid with you was the final straw was, was when Trump attacked McCain and said, I don't, I like people that weren't captured. But it, to be very candid with you, James, I was a veteran for 10 years. Uh, I still do veterans work. I'm, I'm still working with veterans groups to this day with some of my consulting. And, what got me upset was what he said, but what more upset me was how it was accepted by so many. Okay, James? I mean, he, he should have been persona non grata in our community forever at that point. But what shocked me is how many people in our community were willing to say, yeah, you know, well, I don't agree with that, but McCain's kind of a POS. And then the most shocking thing to me, James, was, and I don't know if you know this, but Rolling Thunder, which was the big motorcycle rally in D.C., right, okay, that after that, after he did that, Rolling Thunder had him as their guest of honor at the next Rolling Thunder on Memorial Day 2015 at, at the Lincoln Memorial. They set up a stage for Trump to speak, candidate Trump, to speak after he said that about POWs. And that's when I knew, oh, Lord, uh, our community is 
in trouble. You know what I mean? I, I knew our veterans community was in trouble. And I think we've seen more of that. Um, I mean, it's, 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 our community has been riven as rest, much as the rest. I mean, you know the deal. We, we are America, right? We're just as much yeah. American. And so anyway, I, I, I've, uh, it's been very, I'm a, I'm a West Point grad. I don't hide that. I, I have very few of my West Point classmates that I still speak to because of that. So many have gone over to the far side. They think Pompeo is great. They think Esper is great. Um, I, I've, I've been very disappointed with, um, how much of our internal, po- our national politics has affected our communities? Well, it's tough, but I can tell you honestly, as a Democrat and as a veteran, people are very enthusiastic. About it. And look, Marcus, Marcus, it's kind of funny. Somebody called, somebody actually messaged us the other day. They're like, oh, you know, I, I know his real deal. There was Marcus, like Marcus was low. He was a, he was a quartermaster guy, man. He was a supply guy. He does. He's never pretended to be a door kicker. You know, he he didn't go to combat. You know, he he's never hidden that he was. As well as I do, supply guy was the most. Right, you know the deal, Jay. Right, exactly. And it's kind of, but people like this guy thought he. He had us like oh i know he, marcus like dude it's on my bio I, <laughs> you know i've never pretended to be a hero you know I, I served you know and but it's uh it's funny how people are but yeah it's but i tell you it's been yeah, very exact welcome here it, it's it's been it's been there were three things really that kind of pushed me out of the republic because like i said i was just like just about every other uh veteran out there a republican one was lindsey graham's claim to have served in iraq yeah. When he never left South Carolina. Right. I mean, come on, dude. I, I was in there at the same time you were. I got the same. Right. Uh, you know, awards. Yeah. But no, I was, I was stop lost in Korea. I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> I, I avoided Korea like the, the plague because I knew that would happen. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting on the DMZ. Boom. Uh, that's where I was. And then yep. we've got um, another candidate who came along. Who the question is whether or not he was in it. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he also pulled against Trump. I mean, against McCain, you know, South Carolina. Yep. Um, and then the final thing that really got me was, you know, you talk about the two ways it goes. We have my brother is a retired naval, doesn't care. He, and I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. It's weird, right? It's there's, cause there's all these, there's all these, all these uh, rumors about McCain. I, I I've never truly understand the hatred. Now, of course, you know, I'm friends with Steve Schmidt. I don't hide that either. Steve's also done the warpath. He said some stuff about the McCain campaign recently, but yeah, I, I just, but you can never besmirch his service, right? I mean, the man went through hell in Hanoi and, and deserves respect for what, for that, for what he did to, for our nation. I'll never let it, I'll never let that off. Being a POW for that long is, is the, the mental challenge. That's why all those things that happened afterwards, like I, I had PTSD. I did terrible things. I was not always a good person. I, I forgot my moral compass for a while as I struggled with my mental health. I, I have a hard time criticizing someone for someone who went through what he went through and then to come home and act like everything's fine. It's not. You're not fine. So this is great, James. I think I think Amanda's got another um, another question. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump over to her. Thanks so much, James. No problem, man. Amanda, you're going on. Back at you. Yeah. So I, I'm glad to have another Missourian in here. Right. Um, yeah. So it, it basically, I kind of gave up on Missouri. Josh Hawley. But I, wow. Uh, yeah. And I've I've just taken it everywhere else. But since yeah. you're in Missouri, wow. What's the strategy to get this? Uh, how do you talk about that? You know, so, you know, I moved back because of, of my girlfriend. I'm very honest about that. Um, I got back and, and I can't, I'm one of those guys who just can't sit in his hands. So, so I was very blessed to get some great meetings with folks. I've gotten to know a, a woman named uh, Crystal Quaid, 
who is the House Minority Leader, the, the floor leader for the Democratic Party in the Missouri House. And Crystal's got a really, she's doing some remarkable stuff. She's out of Springfield and she's building, she built her own, the House, a House Campaign Caucus or committee to help uh, run Democrats for House. She's um, recruiting great candidates to run that. We actually have four uh, Democratic women running in Springfield. They split Springfield into four districts. And there's a, there's a very good chance we may end up with four Democratic women out of Springfield. Mm-hmm. Springfield is quickly becoming one of the bluest little dots of the state. Um, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, they're doing great. I, I, I'm a Joplin grad. Group in Joplin. Check it out. So, yeah, they're doing some good stuff. The Green County Dems are terrific. I actually spoke to the Green County Dems. They like me to come down and give my uh, my, my my tough love speech that I give. Uh, Kansas City, Mary Q in Kansas City is terrific. Oh, I've he's no scared Mary, of me. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I, uh, he's great. You know, I talked to him. He's been, he's been, he's been very kind to me. Um, you know, I've, I've met another, you know, Jill Shoup has been very generous to her time with me. I've met a lot of the folks. Uh, I've had a chance to meet a lot of our donors thanks to my work in my super PAC. Um, the, the, the strategy is building. I think, I think Crystal recognize, you know, Crystal's been very honest. She says, look, I recruit people. If the district was a 37% for Dan last time, if I can, you know, give a candidate, you know, a free website, if I can help them get discounts on signs, teach them how to run a campaign, and it goes from 37 to say 42. Um, that's a lot of data. She understands that you just gathered a whole bunch of new voter information, a whole bunch of new voters for the next election. And then if I run a candidate two years later and I get them up to 47, you know, th- that's how you do it. And so there is this, what I really respect about what Crystal's doing and her, her colleagues are doing is the understanding that you don't flip a state in one election. You flip a state uh, in, in four or five, right? And that's what's going to take to rebuild it. That's how the Republicans took it over. That's how they took over Georgia. They, they very patiently chipped away, chipped away, chipped away until they're in the majority. And so I do believe that's promise. We all want immediate gratification, right? I want, I want it now. I want to yeah. flip it blue. We got over blue. And then of course, that's before we even talk about St. Louis politics, which is, Oh God, I swear to God. Yeah. You know, I live there, man. And I still don't, you know, if you talk to this person before you talk to that person, well, you're persona non grata with that person. And then you got well, family. Like St. Louis and the rest of the state. It, well, it, it's, St. Louis it, is its own thing. It is its own thing. And, and then, yeah, and that's the other part. St. Louis hates Kansas City. It's just, it is a like very that. strange. And then you get the, you get the divisions within the county versus the city. It's, it's, it, I mean, I, I, it's, it's funny. I, I can't tell you how often I talk to, um, politi- political folks from outside. I'll be very candid. I've talked to more political folks from out state and Kansas City than I have in St. Louis. And, and I'm literally in, yeah, you know, in the but district. St. Louis has this you bad know. habit of being like, they live in a bubble. And yes. it's not just a bubble of St. Louis. It's, I know Baldwin and that's it. Right. I know Kirkwood and that's it. I know North County right. and that's it. Right, right. We live in Wildwood. So, so yeah, I completely, yeah, I agree. So, it, but I do, I really respect what Crystal's trying to do. The idea of being, you know, a talk. I really love what they, they did. A, they did a really good job of guerrilla war for this last cycle, kind of like Louise Lucas did in, in Virginia. So I, I, I guess I'm, a, I, I'm an, ever an optimist. I believe there, there could be a chance, you know, we, we can, it's going to be, a, it's not going to be this cycle. It's going to be maybe two, three, four cycles, you know, Josh Hawley's next. Again? Crystal Quaid, Q-U-A-D. Check her out. Follow her on Twitter. She's just a a, a smart. I, again, I I, I don't give away I don't give away awe easily, and and I, I'm very impressed by Crystal. She's been, and I gotta be honest, she's been very very generous with her time with me, and and being and being um being uh, introducing me to people and, and and being supportive of what I'm trying to do, and then I'm helping her with like fundraisers and stuff like that. But but I, honestly, yeah. it's inter- it's an interesting time there. I mean, the Senate race is, is a toss up still. Lucas Kuntz is doing great. Mm-hmm. I like Lucas. I know Lucas. He's a Marine. Um, there's he's been not some very grumbling. responsive, and that bothers me. Like, hey, what's going on? There's here? that. There's some challenges. There there's, there's some challenges with with the 
you know, there's some challenges. I now leave that. But then, of course, Scott Simpson drops out, and Judy and, and Trudy Bush Valentine jumps in on qualifying day. Has built a campaign, although people can't see it. I don't know. She's <laughs> tweeting a lot. It's really, um, it's really a weird situation there. I, I don't know yeah, what's going to happen, yeah. and that's before we talk about the Republicans. So, so yeah, it's it's interesting being there. You know, I, I'll be very. I'll, you're, I'll, I'll tell the joke I tell often. You know, I, when I when I left when I left Kirkwood and went to the military. Um, you know, I lived, I was living, I retired out of the Pentagon in Virginia and there's two things I said I'd never do. I said, I'd never date a taller woman and I never moved back to Missouri. And so now I'm dating a taller woman and living in Missouri with her. So, <laughs> so, so now, so now my rules don't make, don't make absolutes. Uh, but, uh, but it's good to be home. It's good to, you know, it's great to be able to, um, you know, make a difference and, and help in, in some way. So that's what I'm talking Yeah. About. Well, if what's amazing about being in this setting, I I fell in. I was actually homeless for a while. I fell in with Alicia Kennedy. Mm-hmm. I campaigned for. I've never campaigned for anything in my life. Yeah. And when Jason Kander dropped out of the mayoral race several yeah. years back, I was like, friend oh, of mine. I don't know. What he, he's great. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea who I was going to vote for, so I listened to everybody on KCUR. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Alicia blew me away. I went straight to Facebook, found her personal page, messaged her, thinking, I'm not going to hear any. No. She wrote right back and said, can we meet? Yeah. I said, absolutely. She said, tonight, you bet. Good good retail yeah, politics, yeah. right? That's, that's the difference. She is fantastic. That's the difference. I love hearing those stories. So anyway, that's that's what we're going to have to do. So look, Amanda, I'm going to go ahead. I think we've uh, we've talked for quite a while. Man, man, this is 50 minutes. So this was a lot of fun tonight. I, really, I, think, I think just a few survivors are still with us. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, it's been a great, great evening talking to everybody. Uh, I, I just love this. I, I'm hoping to get back. I have been traveling a lot, so I had my regular schedules, but we'll get on a regular schedule here probably next week and have some great, I think Dan Barkoff from Vest for Responsible Leadership, who's a good friend of mine, is going to join. I'm going to get Greg, um, uh, Greg back Sergeant back on because we had some technical difficulties with Greg's interview the other day, but I really want, we had a great conversation about this new right movement. So you'll see Greg Sergeant joining me here in the next couple of weeks. And I got a couple other really cool guests that I'm, I'm excited to, to bring you guys. So keep your eyes peeled on the app, uh, my Twitter feed and everything else where I post all these announcements. Uh, as always, um, you can find me on Twitter at FP Wellman, uh, on my official Facebook page. Uh, I have one now, which is Frederick P. Wellman, uh, Instagram is Frederick FP Wellman unfiltered. I've got a newsletter called, uh, also, FP Wellman Unfiltered on Review, which I really need to push one of those out. It's been a while. <laughs> and then, of course, my work with the, the Beer Hall Project, Fighting Back Against the Ratio, January 6th. Uh, keep an eye out tomorrow. This podcast publishes here on Call In Live, but we'll also publish on Apple and Spotify after all the places you find your favorite podcast. I'd really appreciate you guys to tell your friends. And if you like the show, if you go on Apple and Spotify, you could give me a good review. That would be really awesome. It helps me. And uh, like I said, I'm getting the rhythm of things finally. Uh, and I really appreciate those of you who have joined me a couple times now and, 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 are, and are, are sticking with me in this thing. Uh, thanks so much for joining me on this episode of On Democracy. I'll return again soon. Keep an eye on the election. We appreciate your support. Uh, fight at the level. This fight's not over yet. I, I'm, I'm an optimist. I don't, believe, I don't believe they can beat us if we fight back. So thanks, everybody. I appreciate you. Have a great night, and thanks for joining On Democracy with FP Wellman. 